Coming up on this week's podcast, we talk about Uber making flying cars and a brand new TV show. We talk about the Battlefield trailer and review Solo, a Star Wars movie. Oh, and Alan barks like a dog. Stop. That's coming up right after this. Let's hit it. You're listening to the Three Pixels Tech, Gaming, and Movie Podcast, brought to you by Alan Taylor, Martin Gregory, and me, Ben Ridley. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Three Pixels Podcast. This is number eight, and we're back with the usual suspects. Firstly, co-host and long-running presenter, Martin Gregory. Hello. Hello. Nice to see you all again. It's wonderful to be here, and... What was a new addition, but has been around here for quite a while. He's sticking around. He's there around. times now. I know. Alan, hello. Hello, how are you? Very, very well. It's very warm in here. Can I just say, we've had to close all the windows and the fan, and I'm already feeling it. And we're about 37 seconds into the recording. So, yeah. It's going well. It's going well. And with that, we're going to go back into Two Truths, One Life for this week. And it's Alan's turn. Are you guys ready? Yep. Number one. I have never lived in the same town or city for more than five years. Number two, I have climbed to the top of a mountain. Number three, I once broke my ankle when I was in year seven. Okay, Martin, which one are you going to go first? I'll be honest. um, I think I actually had this talk with you in a taxi going to one of the jobs with Paul. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, I think the lie instantly is the ankle thing. I swear Alan said he has never broke a bone in his body. I, I can believe the, um, the first was you haven't lived in, was it a city? More than five years. Just anywhere. Anywhere. Well, hmm, I can't remember the exact place you live away from uh, where you are now, but I know you've been there more than five years. I'm, I'm sure of it. And what was the second, sorry? I climbed to the top of a mountain. Uh, you didn't fit enough to do that, I guess. So why not? Uh, instantly, instantly, but I guess we should interrogate you first. So explain more. Where have you lived in your life? Well, I've only lived in two countries. Yeah. So South Africa until I was 10 and then in England. But within those two countries, we've just moved constantly. My dad was an engineer and he just got different jobs all over the place. Definitely lived in South Africa for yes, a while. Yes, this, this is the truth. So that's, that's the uh, truth in this. Name me some places you've lived in South Africa. Somerset West, Johannesburg, Pretoria, uh, a different place in Somerset West, but it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, and then in England, I lived in a place called Holbeach, Spalding, Lincoln, Birmingham, London, Stafford. Actually, <laughs> Stafford. I'm down to myself because let me just say this: if if you were in South Africa to the age of ten, you must have been born in South Africa. No, nope. I was you, born in England. You moved to South Africa. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so I Coventry as well then. Because the first year and a half. Because I, I know for a fact that you have an English passport and that you only have the potential to get a Belgian passport, not a South African. So you weren't born in South Africa. I know that's a fact. So, so you were born in Coventry, though, did you say? Yeah. Oh, my dad was born in Coventry as well. Oh, cool. Look at Maybe that. I know. Who knows? Maybe Who I knows? met him when I was one years old. Maybe. You were like, what's up? Like fist bump and everything. <laughs> I remember you. But I just don't know. That's I, a lot of names to list I'm off. Skeptical. But, I'm skeptical. But these then. could be like, he did say his uh, dad moved around a lot. So how I see it is like, that could be like in the first two, three weeks here, for two, three weeks over there. And then he actually had a, like a main base where he used to uh, work from. That's if this whole thing starts as a 
truth. You're taking that bit as a truth as well. I, honestly, I think I'm still content that it's the ankle thing, but uh, we'll go to the second bit then. You climbed a mountain, you say? Yes. Which mountain? What mountain? Alzeberg Mountain. Yeah, where is it? It was in Somerset West, one of the places I lived. Somerset West. Um, it's not the tallest mountain. It's about, so I think it's just a bit taller than Snowdonia. How long, how long, sorry. Sorry, I was going to say, is it actually classified as a mountain? This yeah, place? it's called okay. Alzeberg Mountain. How long did it take you to reach the peak? Quite a while, because uh, my grandmother came with us. So it's not a difficult climb, but I don't know, I think until midday, and we started in the morning, I don't know, about eight, so four hours? Four hours. Maybe a bit Can longer. I just say, how old was your grandma at this point? Give it, give it, take a few years. I don't know, 60-odd? You 60s? took a 60-odd up a mountain. Did you... Hey, man. Were like, oh, off we go. <laughs> <laughs> off you go. Yeah, tried to lose her. She followed us back just down. Just coming back. <laughs> um, fair enough. I, I guess it's possible. Like I said, like Alan comes to, across to me like he's a fit lag. Was this the same time you broke your ankle, by the way? <laughs> yeah, so I, I hopped off the mountain. Yeah. No, I broke my ankle when I was in year seven when I was in England. And, and how did you do that? How did you manage? So I had a friend who used to jump out of this his second story This is a lie. He said he had window. a friend. This is, this, is, this, is, this is a lie. Yeah, sorry, Adam, carry on. Continue. Yeah, he used to jump out of like his bedroom window and, you know, on the second story. First story. Not the ground floor. Yeah, yeah. The, the first, first floor. floor, yeah. Yeah. And he used to do it all the time. And then somehow him and his brother talked me into doing it. I jumped out first time. I landed on my ankle wrong. And then... Yeah, I got in the back of his mum's car and they took me to the doctors. I hope this. I hope I'm wrong with this, but that just sounds beautiful. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sounds so majestic. Um, I just, I just imagine like, sorry, I'm just having this image of just driving by and just seeing you just go. <laughs> <laughs> the things he used to do all the time. It's like, okay, so, I guess so you thought this was a good idea. You thought, uh, no, I didn't think it was. I didn't want to do it. But you, you, I was peer pressured into it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they all say. And his uh, brother's older as well. His brother's like two years older. Well, hang on, slow it down, mate. Yeah. I believe that one. That sounds the most believable story so far to me. I think that's, that's the reason why I don't believe it. It's, it. it's too believable. I think the moving about, I just, there's something about it I don't believe. It's quite an easy lie, I think, to make up, to say, oh, you know, I've moved about, I've stayed in a lot of places. There's just something that's not... Okay, well, I, I, well, we can have to. We don't have to. Yeah, we don't have we, to. We can say same. different things. I think that the moving about's a lie. I'd say I breaking your ankle. I've smelt something whiffy about it since he first. There was something funky in the <laughs> Alamo. I have never broken a bone in my body, ever. So well done, Martin. My parents just moved around all the time, nonstop. I, the, I did sort of cheat because I did ask you this about. I think it was a good like four months ago, and I, and I it just stuck in my head one. Conspiracy about um, breaking your ankle because I think I brought it up. Have you ever broken your ankle? <laughs> no, 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 like a bone in your body because I did bring uh, this up to you, and I remember you saying, and, I, and for some reason that was the one thing that stuck to my head. I was like, I, I swear he said he hasn't broken anything in his life, so no, and I've never dro- jumping out of a second story window because uh, you well, see in, uh, into a swimming pool, but not so onto you- the ground. See, Alan's not that stupid. So I trust him. I trust him. Enough. I did have a friend that did it. I don't trust him, though. <laughs> With that, let's dive straight into the first topic of the tech corner. 
So the headline topic for this week in the tech corner is all around Uber. It's actually a couple of topics that we're going to roll in to talk about. So the first bit and the main point is that Uber is going to develop flying taxis in Paris with a new 20 million research center. Yes, this is the first non-US advanced technology center that will help elevate the program and research into electric transport. Yes, this is the first non-US advanced technology center for the firm, and hopefully they're hoping it will elevate the program and research into electric transport. Uber is opening this up, as I said, in Paris, and it's part of their new taxi program to help move them into the future. And they're going to be investing 20 million euros, 17.5 million pounds over the next five years. And it's partnering with Ecole Polytechnique on various research schemes. A quote here says, nearly a decade ago, the idea for Uber was born out of a need to get a ride on a cold night in Paris. That's why we're excited to announce our new advanced technology center in the city where it all began. Again, Dara, Uber's chief executive, said, with world-class engineers and a leading role in global aviation, France is the perfect place to advance our Uber Elevate program and new technology initiatives. So yes, the other sites are currently doing things similar is Pittsburgh, Toronto, and San Francisco. And this site will initially focus on machine learning and simulation systems needed to manage flying taxis. So very briefly, what are our thoughts on flying taxis? Guys, do you think this is going to be the way forward in our cities where we have the biggest problem with car congestion and probably what is going to have the biggest change in public transport over the next 30 years? I feel like this is the way forward. We've always said this, you know, it, it does stop congestion on the streets. My only problem with all this is you've got to start looking at like flight patterns and stuff, you know, you've got to be mindful of actually other planes like commercial airliners. Obviously, I hope these don't go that high, but that's also that's always a risk. That's always something that's got in my head. But I think this is a step forward. It would just help so much, especially in Paris, where, it, you know, it is just in film, TV, it's always portrayed as just busy congestion. And like you said, it is one of the busiest and congested areas in the world still. So I think it would be a great help. Yeah, Paris is a bit of a nightmare. If you've never been, then imagine London, but several times worse, because no one really pays any attention to a lot of the parking laws, regulations, people park everywhere. Honestly, a lot of the cars are beat up to hell because everyone just doesn't really care that much. No one takes a nice car into central Paris, and it is a bit like bumper cars going around, and yeah, a nightmare. So not a fun place for taxi drivers, not a fun for... Uh, people in general. But the question you've got to ask is, as we send more people into the skies, how are we going to be able to manage the jump in people, you know, that are suddenly in our skies, in our cities, you know, it's not going to be high enough, as long as it's not within close distance of an airport to be a problem to general airplanes and, you know, um, holiday uh, traffic and business, um, regular ins and outgoings. But it will be a problem as the, the popularity grows if it does go down this way. I was well thinking, where do you land as well? Because let's just say I want to land where we're recording our podcast today. You know, there's no runways around here for a few miles now. And, you know, it would have to land in the street, maybe, you know. Yeah, I mean, these are based on kind of drone type technologies where they'd be able to take off from a single point straight up and get away. The idea is that they'd be able to land on top of buildings or, or car parks or things like that like helicopters do basically um, but the benefit of these other helicopters is they're a little bit more stable they 
will hopefully be able to land in places where helicopters can't because they haven't got the big propeller blades. They're not going to create quite as much downwind in landing. A bit more stable as well because they've got four you know, um, blades, four propellers. This is likely the best way of moving forward in air transport for cities. It's just going to be interesting to see how it develops. There are companies out there working on more automated drones that might be able to flow remotely and, and, and kind of operated so that you could fit more people into one uh, transportation vehicle. And, you know, it's still early days. There's still a lot to tell. Alan, you live in a city. You're very much aware of traffic and how bad it can get when you're trying to get somewhere, especially when you want to get somewhere you need to be. It always catches you out. Can you see this being a transportation for the masses or do you think it's only ever going to be for the high class business? I mean, initially, obviously, it'll be for a certain people because we don't have the infrastructure to support being anywhere. As Martin said, it'll have to be from certain designated areas. The great thing about Uber is I can be anywhere in the city and get picked up. If I'm going to have to walk 20 minutes to go somewhere, you know, I'll probably just get the taxi. But in highly congested times in London, it could be quicker to walk, get on the Uber, Lyft, helicopter thing, whatever it is, than it would be to sit in a taxi for an hour. But by the time it's affordable enough for me to use it, Everyone I bet the be. skies will be congested as well. Sorry, you did say about, is this going to be like for the super wealthy or the 1% as people like to say? I think it will have to be at first. I really do. I can't see it being based on, on commoners. I'm very sorry to say like, like us like here. It will be definitely for the super wealthy at first. I think over a while, after a period of time, after like 50, 60 years, it will definitely come down, probably even less than that. But that's like, that's my big broad spectrum of it. Um, but Uber have always been, to me, they've always been about the common man can get from here to there with quick, easy access and cheap, you know? And I think, like I said, after a few years where parts become less expensive, where drone technology is really advanced, I think then and only then will we be able to actually use this on a day-to-day basis. Until they nail AI as well, this isn't going to be affordable anyway because forgetting the cost of the drones themselves, pilots are expensive. So hiring a pilot, not just Uber, the whole point of Uber is that almost anyone could be an Uber driver. So they generally keep their costs quite low. But hiring a pilot is going to be super expensive. And at this point, you might as well just charter a helicopter, which a lot of business people do anyway in the cities, to get them across. So until they really nail the AI side of things, which brings that out of the equation and keeps the cost down, I think it's not going to be any more competitive or interesting for people to want to use instead of what they already do. I can actually see it like an Uber flight school coming in out of nowhere. I'm just, I'm just saying as a general thought there. But they only plan to have human pilots to start off with. Their end of the goal plan is for it to be autonomous. Oh, yeah, definitely. And also, I don't think you can say this not interesting. Imagine doing this. That would be pretty cool to yeah. fly your way around. I know by the time we can use it, it probably won't be that spectacular. But I don't know. It feels like the future. And it doesn't feel that unreachable. No, it will happen at some point. More than likely, it's just a case of it's still early days. There's a lot of testing to do. And we don't really quite know who's going to have success. A lot of companies are trying this. A lot are are looking quite promising. But who's going to 
hit it first. He's, I think he's got a bit of a race. It's almost like the space race, I suppose. It's true, because like Uber say, this is just their plan, but we never know. Like um, Uber sort of came out of nowhere for me anyway. I, I, I'm not someone who keeps up on like a lot of technology and like all this transportation, but it could be this like real small company right now could be developing it and could be not fingertips of the way, but like very close, closer than Uber are right now. And, you know, they could just come out of nowhere and take this by storm, hopefully. We can't forget that, you know, this is potentially a big market for the future and the biggest players out there, Boeing and Airbus, aren't sitting down waiting for something to start eating into their market share of air transportation. So they are 100% working on something and, you know, it's going to be tricky for Uber to beat these heavyweights. This is new for them. Yes, they do transportation in cars on the ground and they have that kind of thing. They also have a large footprint and they have a lot of team members and they have a lot of influence. But... These are the companies that have been making aircrafts for years. But Uber don't want to build them. They want to be the middleman. They want to just get consumers from place to place. They will be making deals with the companies that make these aircraft. But at the moment, they're very much involved in the development and making of them and then almost doing it separately from the other major manufacturers out there. So it would be interesting to see. And it also be interesting to know your guys' thoughts listening right now. You can get in touch in the usual ways. And let us know, do you think this is a good way of finding a solution to the big problem that we have in cities? Or do you know a better way? It would be good to know. Get in touch. Twitter, Facebook, email, you know, get in touch. But that is not it for the Uber talk. I'm sorry if you don't like Uber, but quite a few people actually aren't a biggest fan of Uber in the UK, especially they've had a lot of problems in London with a big backlash from the major taxi companies, black cabs, and also the government as well. They're fighting in and out of the courts. So Uber, quite rightly, has been trying to win over the hearts of the British public, mostly because they can't ignore the fact that the UK is their second biggest market that they have. So a loss in the UK is a big loss for them overall. One of the ways they're hoping to achieve this is by putting out, and they have put episodes out, of a brand new TV show on one of the British channels, Channel 4. Now, I know you're thinking, why? And I'm thinking that too. But they're hoping that that this will win over the hearts of people. It's six episodes. It's called Where To Britain, and it's been released very recently. If you are in the UK, you can go ahead and watch that. If you're outside the UK, probably somewhere you can find to watch it as well. The mini documentary series looks to be a carefully crafted effort by Uber to win back the heart of the British public. They're also doing a few other things as well to try and win people back, which I might as well go over before we talk about this in detail, our thoughts on Uber as a whole. Uh, The first thing is that they're partnering with Virgin Trains. They announced this recently, which gives customers booking trains between London and Birmingham discount on Uber journeys. So they're trying to promote people, you know, get your train, with an Uber. Get off your train with an Uber and support this. This is one step. They're hoping to roll out more journeys, I think, later on. They're trialing it with the London to Birmingham route at the moment. And exhibit two of something else that they're trying to do, apart from this TV series, is this coming weekend as we're recording. I know that the podcast comes out just after the weekend, so it has just gone. But they're working with Cancer Research UK to do a free drop-off for your unused and unwanted items to give to the charity. So if you've been hoarding things out, been wanting the charity shop, just have another time. People in cities generally don't have the time to do these things, apparently. They will pick it up for free and take it to the charity shops for you, which is a really cool thing, in my opinion. I think it's really good. They're obviously saying this is not 
a way of you getting rid of all the stuff you really don't want. This is, you know, you donating things that will be useful for them to sell. So please don't donate stuff that's a load of rubbish. And yeah, this is an attempt by them to win back the British public. Will it work? Only time will tell, I suppose. But I've you know, been pro Uber for a while. I use them day to day. I rely on them for the job I do. I am going to jump over to you, Martin. As you're someone who doesn't have Uber where you live, you, you haven't really had a lot of experience using it yourself. What's your opinion as a sort of outsider, I suppose? Are, are you pro this? Are you anti this? Does, does these attempts make a difference? Uber do not have an influence on my life, especially where I live. Like, I don't even think we actually have Uber around, or if we do, I've never even tr attempted it because where I live, it's so small. You can get from one side to the other and like you can walk it in an hour. You know, that, it's, it's pretty easy. Clearly, it's just a publicity stunt. It's clearly, like you say, to sway the people's votes and to sway them in a bit more of positive light. I understand where the black cabs come from uh, when they say that they uh, feel like they're taking their jobs, taking people away from them. But at the same time, I've used the black cabs a few times and it is ludicrously expensive at times. It really is. And at times you just think, well, I'll just use the underground or I'll just use the buses, which is like 10 times cheaper, it feels. It's a good move by Uber, but for someone who, you know, like I said, it doesn't affect my life. I just feel like it's just a big publicity stunt and it's just someone to really just to sway it all. So to give more information on the TV show, it is a series in which Uber drivers share candid chats with passengers, including Manchester United and England stars, uh, obviously paid by Uber. Dawn French narrates the series, and it's called Where to Britain, which places a camera inside cars of Uber drivers, pickups and drop-off passengers. I mean, listen, people will watch anything. No, it's, honestly, I, I have no doubt in my mind that people will watch this and, you know, it will get their brand out there in front of a lot of people who probably don't have the app installed. And once they get the app installed on their phone, people will be more likely to use it. I'm sure it will work. I don't know if it'll win over the hearts and minds of everyone, because like Martin said, there is a show about the black cabs, you know, I'm sure if they just make another one, people will be swayed back there. So... I don't know. I'm sure it will have the desired effect, but I'm probably not going to watch it. It'll be interesting to see whether people's feelings about Uber will change and how this Uber thing will pan out, especially with the current court cases that are going on and vice versa, whether they'll be here to stay or not. I think likely is the likelihood is that they will be. And yeah, as I said, I think we're the wrong people really to, to properly comment on it because we are the ones that generally use it day to day or are the target audience anyway. But I'm very supportive of the charity thing. I think any companies in the positions that Uber are in that can use their tools and uh, their services for good is a great idea. And I hope Uber do more of this stuff, maybe do it every now and again to support other charities or do other moves because they have all these resources, they have all these drivers that they can use to do a good thing. scams on the street since I was 10. I was kicked out of the flight academy for having a mind of my own. I'm going to be a pilot. Best in the galaxy. Hey, kid. I'm putting together a crew. 
You in? So this week I'm going to be talking about Solo, a Star Wars story. Martin, have you seen it? I have not. Ben, have you seen it? No. So I'm the only one that has seen it. You have to convince us then. Well, okay, so that's going to be a big job because uh, I don't think I've met anyone that was excited for this movie going in. So what's the temperature of the room? I'd say it's about 20 Celsius in here, probably. It's pretty hot. I'm actually genuinely excited for this film. Oh, really? Yeah, me and my friend James really want to go see this soon. But by the reaction, you're probably going to dash my dreams here. Ben, what are you thinking? The first trailer put me off because I didn't like it at all. The second one's been a bit better, but the first one, and since then, I've kind of had a bit of bad taste in my mouth. And to be honest, I walked out of The Last Jedi not feeling too great about the Star Wars franchise. So I kind of wasn't expecting much from this. And there's been so many great films or so many films I wanted to go see come out recently that I've prioritized spending my money on those rather than this one. Yeah, so actually, Martin, you're the first person I've met that has been excited for this. Wow. Not only because of the awful trailers, but there have been so many rumors coming out recently about the troubled production of this movie. Yes, I know about the troubled production. No. Yeah, so the two directors that originally started it, uh, Miller and Lord, who did 21 Jump Street and the Lego movie, which was great, they got fired halfway through production and they brought on Ron Howard, who it's been said Ron Howard has reshot over 70% of this movie. Wow. But even though it, it had all these bad rumors, it had bad trailer, it's actually come together okay. I don't think you can tell watching it. And if you didn't know that, that it was this Frankenstein's monster, you know, all botched together, it doesn't feel like that. It does feel like a complete comprehensive movie. The performances throughout the movie are pretty solid. Outstanding is Paul Bettany. He was great. He really chews up the scenery. He's very evil. And Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian. He's, you know, very charming naturally anyway. I love everything he does. But the real performance that everyone was holding their breath for was Alden Ehrenreich, who plays Han Solo. Now, obviously, you can never replace Harrison Ford. Mm -hmm. I, I just, he is that character as far as I'm concerned. He brings, you know, that cantankerous feeling to every role he plays. But Aaron Reich really sells the young solo thing. He does make it his own. And I think, although he's not Ford, he makes it believable. Now, so the performances were all all right. We had some great support from Amelia Clark and Woody Harrelson. But where this movie really falls down, and I think the writers didn't do a great job, is the story and the plot. The whole movie is very low stakes. And I don't mean that as in, you know, Han Solo is not saving the galaxy. He's not. It's essentially just a heist. It's an origins movie masquerading as a, you know, a Western caper. But when I say low stakes, I don't normally mind movies that are low stakes and personal. Like I will happily watch a movie about a man and his son trying to find their stolen bicycle, right? I mean, it's low stakes where that nothing really felt like it mattered. This isn't a spoiler to say, but... A big part of this, his, his motivations, is rekindling with his love interest. But when they finally meet, it, it's like he's just met up with an old school friend, like, oh, hey, what, what are you doing here? But this movie feels more like a checklist than a plot. It feels like they went through the Wikipedia page and was like, oh, how did Han Solo get the Millennium Falcon? How did he meet Chewie? How did he meet Lando? How did he get his little dice? You know, it... It, how did it get to Tatooine? It just feels like fan service more than an emotional plot. And this movie is very much fan service 
through and through to the point where they set up things for, I presume, future movies that are way more interesting than this movie is. I'm really excited about where some of these other characters and cameos are going to go more than I was interested in this. So it feels more like a setup to future things. It feels like it feels like they just had to make it because some people were asking for it. All in all, I know I'm being quite down about it. Martin, you will enjoy it while you're watching it. It's okay. very fun to just sit and watch. Star Wars has always been this marriage of spaghetti Western themes and samurai movies, right? Yeah. Okay. It is drenched in Japanese and Western mythology. And this feels like it's all of the cool, flashy, spaghetti Western stuff without any of the, you know, samurai depth. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it while I watched it. When I came out of it, I was a little bit annoyed. I had a lot of questions that didn't feel satisfying. But whatever, it, it is what it is. And you know what? This, it's been a long, long time since the last movie. It has been a whole six months. And, you know, people can't wait another six months. It, it, this gap in the Star Wars franchise needs to be filled. Disney is doing what they did with Marvel, basically. They're going to have the main big episodes where things, big things happen and they're going to have filler character-focused. That's what it feels like. Oh, I know. But it's not even... Even before, Rogue One was meant to be a side story. Yeah. And that was a year at least. Yeah. I think they're oversaturating it. I think we're going to... And that's another reason why I think a lot of people weren't excited is because there's a lot of fatigue setting in. I feel a little bit fatigued. I'm like, just wait. I can yeah. wait. Go wait. I would recommend that you go watch the Clone Wars cartoon before you see this. Yes. But then at the same time, and if you explore the extended fiction, you're probably going to get a much better version of this story. So that's what I meant when I said I'm not entirely sure who this is for. But... I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. It's completely serviceable. It's fine. It's just not going to blow you away. So please let me know what you thought. I'll read out your thoughts on the next episode and maybe Martin will have seen it by then so we can have a broader discussion. But email in, tweet in, send a Facebook message. And thank you very much. This week in the Game Corner, we're going to go back to an old friend in Battlefield 5. I understand we talked about this a lot in our podcast However, I want to revisit it as we now know where DICE and EA are heading with Battlefield. As soon as it was dropped, it was instantly hit with criticism. Why? Because of female characters. This has become a massive problem with the gamer community and not in the ways that you might think. It's more people are crying out of, we want realism in our games. Well, I'm sorry to tell you that women did fight in World War II. And although it's not as well known or as well publicized, it did happen. And also EA or DICE have not said this is an accurate representation of World War II. It is a game at the end of the day. And in games, anything can happen. EA instantly responded to this backlash by Oscar Gabrielson replying, first, let me be clear about one thing. Player choice and female playable characters are here to stay, which I think is the way to go. We are now living in a different age where big movements in the uh, women's theatre are, are, are going, you know, uh, we're looking at uh, Ghostbusters with uh, women being all the main characters and revamps in other films, especially like look at Doctor Who as well. Yeah, I mean, it's commonly accepted that gaming isn't just a male dominated thing. There are women who are gamers and who enjoy gaming just as much as the male population. So it's only fair that they are represented in the same way in video games. And Call of Duty's been doing it now for a little while, so it's only right that Battlefield does the same thing. 
on Twitter, there is a hashtag trending right now. Hashtag not my battlefield. This is obviously aimed for the core of more historical accuracy in games, which I find is so pathetic. I did have a go at Call of Duty World War II being unrealistic, but that's because they advertise it as a realistic game. They even said in their trailers and in their post, they said this is going to be a realistic representation and our most realistic World War II game to date. But with DICE, they have not said this at all. So I can understand the customization into different genders and different roles. Battlefield 1 was not realistic. Exactly. So why are people getting upset? I understand if the previous game was this realistic fight and then this game came out and it was completely different for what the audience expected. I'd understand. But this sounds and looks like Battlefield, the game that I've known and played over the many years that it's been out. It's, it's, it's just such a shame that um, gamers get like this. But I'm not surprised either. Okay, I will be honest and... Very bad of me. Maybe if I was a 13-year-old boy back then, I would probably be moaning about, oh, I want a historic accuracy games. But like I said about Call of Duty, there are plenty of uh, realistic games out there for you to enjoy, like Red Orchestra, Operation Flashpoint is another one. There are games out there that suits that market. But DICE and EA are clearly moving forward with the times. Although, yes, it is set in World War II, but it's still now hitting 2018, which is now becoming a more modern and more accepting world than it once was. So personally, I think it was a great move by DICE and EA to include women, which also, like Ben said, hits a new niche market. Yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and say most people probably don't care. The reason we're seeing a backlash is because the people angry enough to yeah. go to type on their keyboard are the ones doing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I honestly, when I saw that trailer and I saw the posters, I didn't even notice that. No, I didn't even and think about it. I didn't, I didn't realize. I didn't think this was an issue until that article came up. But like I said, I bet most people are absolutely fine with it. It's just these angry people making a splash again. You know, if you don't care, you're not going to go make a splash about it. So you, no one's going to see that. So whatever. And anyway, who cares? Ignore. If they don't want to play this game, fine. They can leave. Who cares? So Martin back to the game itself mm -hmm. what we've seen so far are you excited or are you looking forward to it you enjoyed battlefield one you were talking about playing it with your friends is there anything in this game ticking the boxes for you and what you've seen okay what i see and what i've read are now two different things because when i first saw it, i'll be honest i was a bit it doesn't look like battlefield that's how it felt it didn't come to me across like oh this is this is battlefield you know it, something just felt a bit off and I will get onto why uh, what I've read is different. It did feel a bit off. However, it felt like a better World War II game than I anticipated. I thought this was going to be another run-of-the-mill, slap a load of microtransactions on there, GG, let's play the game sort of thing. I mean, this is EA after all. Exactly. And I think they've hidden their uh, tracks quite well thus far because there's, no, there's, no, there's not um, a whiff of it yet, but I'm sure, I'm sure they'll be implemented at some point. But they got to learn from the mistakes. Like look at Battlefront 2 with Star Wars. Like that was plagued by microtransactions. People actually calculated how much you'd actually have to spend to unlock nearly everything. And it was a ludicrous amount. I mean, like you'd nearly need to be like a good... Uh, I think it was like £1,500 plus, and that's if you get it all on, on your first time. You know, you're looking at nearly two and a half grand to get everything. And that is ludicrous to, to think of. The gameplay is still under wraps. I can only go on like the pre-render trailer. It looks like what I remember of Battlefield 3, carnage, explosions, everything explodes around you. And I do like things exploding. I am like Michael Bay when it comes to explosions. I'm still waiting for you to tell me, you said before we hit record, that the 
and Roman numerals mean something. Yes. I haven't explained it yet, so I'm still waiting for that. In the trailer, if you've seen it, it comes up as Battlefield 5, but the 5 is a V, Roman numerals. And a Martin... I didn't think much of this, but Martin tells me that it is a reason behind this. Yes. Is this a real reason or is this a fan thought reason? Generally, this is a real reason. Um, it is rumoured that the two factions that weren't released will be the British and the Germans. Of course. And as I'm saying this, Alan has put the link together already. It's actually a reminder of Winston Churchill when he put the V's up saying victory. And that was the clue. That was the big clue going into it. So that's a bit of trivia now that you can tell your friends. Like the V actually means V for victory, which was the big clue for World War II. And the special edition comes with a box of cigars. Does it really? <laughs> oh, obviously <laughs> not. Shinley, I was like, interesting. <laughs> I don't know why I fell for that, but I am so dim-weird at times. Well, then what would be your best Battlefield? So what's it going to beat? Battlefield 2, Bad Company. Okay, which that, is a fantastic game, and that's a tough one to beat. That was probably, that was probably the, in my opinion, the benchmark for Battlefield. Yeah. That was the bit that it said, we are here to stay. We are here to challenge the top. We are, we are here for the big dogs. And I think this is a new lease of life. I think this is a new era we're seeing in Battlefield. I feel like other companies are regressing at times with their games, but I feel like uh, DICE could really just put themselves apart Put Battlefront behind them, the Star Wars, put, just put it behind you for now. Let's focus on this, let's make it the best game possible, and let's bring people back onto our terms. If they stop the microtransactions, which, like we said, EA, they love that money, mate. I think we could be really on for a winner here if they learn from their mistakes, and that's a big if. I would be prepared to go back to playing Battlefield again. I haven't played Battlefield properly in quite a time, and this trailer actually made me want to go back and play some of the older Battlefields, the ones I love, like Battlefield 3 and Battlefield Bad Company. I'm hopeful, is what I'm going to put it at the moment. I'm hopeful. Let's see what goes, test the waters, and if I like what I see, then who knows? They might have me back. As the game gets released closer and closer, maybe we'll come back to this, have maybe our final say. I don't want to keep talking about Battlefield and COD, because I feel like I'm almost biased at this rate. But I'd love to know what you guys think. And if there's any uh, big development or any massive shout-outs that DICE or EA have said, be sure that I will report on it. It is that time of the episode where we put one presenter against another presenter with a topic each and let them fight for victory for no apparent reason, it seems. Martin was the victor in the last one we did on the episode before last. He beat me to the crown. And Alan is the challenger for this week to see if he can knock Martin off the throne. Martin, as you won the last one, you get to choose whether you go first or second. It's became age old. You know, a tale as old as time. Let Alan go first. <laughs> Alan? Yeah. Deep breath. Take it away. As both of you know, and everyone listening at home, the UK is developing like a massive drug problem at the minute, right? Like class A drugs. All over the UK, but especially in London, and especially with cocaine, it's, it's just everywhere now. It seems everyone in London is doing cocaine at the minute. I don't know if <laughs> you've ever been on a night out in London, Martin, no. recently, but it takes like 10 minutes to queue up to go to the bathroom from the men's toilets. 
I did not know this. No, it's insane. You just you, you just want to go to the toilet and everyone's going in and out. No one's flushing. Everyone's just doing lines. And, you know, whatever. And that guy who hands you paper towels and expects you to give him change, he's just staring at you as if you were one of them. <laughs> okay. But whatever. It's, it's a massive issue now. So Manchester Airport has poured £1.25 million investing into these drug hounds. They, they sniff out the drugs. You've, you must have seen them before, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But these are new, specially trained dogs that apparently are meant to be much more efficient than ever. Have you seen this? Like, have you, have you seen these dogs? Okay, they're amazing. They are actually incredible. These dogs, within six months, have found 181 kilograms of cheese and meat. <laughs> oh yeah, no class A drugs. Oh. No, yeah, yeah, no, they've not found any drugs. They've oh. not actually solved that problem at all. But they've been able to sniff out Cheese and meat. It's important. Also, yeah, yeah. I don't know if they're not being fed or what, but yeah, these, do- these dogs, they're just they're sniffing the out. But imagine coming back from holiday from right. Spain and you're, you're wheeling your bag along and then all of a sudden you just hear, rawr, 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 rawr. stop, get away from your case. Get hands on your head. So what is this? Is this a chorizo? Have you brought chorizo with you? You're looking at 40 years. It is an offence. You're not allowed to bring meat oh. into the country. <laughs> it's <laughs> dairy products. I know, but I that's not what they're looking for. I, they've not spent 1.25 million pounds oh, looking know. for yeah. sausages. <laughs> well, and Alan, we know you're a main offender of these sausages imports. We oh, know. no, I know. I've got a... a You've got a, a black a market going down. So I get, I get my Spanish sausages. I cut them down with brick dust and sell them. Those Cumberland sausages are a big top seller, aren't they? Yeah, we know. He just, he just taps them on the back and goes, do you want the sausage? <laughs> do you want the sausage? I just have a trench coat open up. Cheese on and one side. shows everyone his sausage. Yeah. Oh, his array of sausages, eh? <laughs> um, and cheeses. Can't forget the cheeses. Don't, yeah, no. So How much did you say they spent on this? 1.25 million for these six specially trained dogs. And they've found nothing. Well, and they want absolutely to, nothing. And they want to renationalize the railway. <laughs> yes, it's true. We, we've in the past a couple episodes talked about porn passes from news agents and sniffer dogs that, that have spent 1.5 million on them. If anything, this is probably the reason why the drug problems got a lot worse is because they're not interested in finding the drugs. No. They just want a snack. Can I just say, right, and this isn't from personal experience at all, but um, working in a bar, they say if you get Vaseline and put it on top of the, the seat lids, um, it disintegrates the cocaine. So there you go. That's... I don't know if that's a rumour. That's what I I've heard. Th- They're not trying to stop people doing it in airports. They're trying to stop them smuggling them in. Well, is, you never know, though. You're like, oh, I need to taste this excuse, stock. Excuse me, sir, let me put the Vaseline up your top. Um, you, the moment you said Vaseline, I was worried where you were going to <laughs> No, no, no. But to bring this succinctly to a close on Alan's topic, really interesting one, took twists and turns I was definitely not expecting. So, well done. At first, I was thinking, this doesn't sound like a weird new topic. This sounds like a genuinely interesting but you know good news topic that you'd read every day so uh, i was waiting for the butt and uh that was it was a good definitely butt, a turn. Yeah. yeah martin it is your turn let's see if you're still as confident i'm pretty damn confident after that story because 
I too also have a very costly mistake, but well-trained, not so much. A hotel valet had to be cut out of a Porsche after a bungled parking job, which saw the luxury sports car end up squashed under an SUV. This was in Australia. So pretty much he was in this Porsche and he was going to move it forward, just edge it. All he needed was a nice little touch. Nope, he went ramming speed on this thing. Got in the car, off he went. The SUV sort of slid over it and he and it crushed over him. He was in Australia, so he was down under. Down under. And down under a car. Down under a car. Down under, down under. What a costly mistake. This Porsche is probably top of the line. This SUV looks brand new at the factory. So it's also going to cost a pretty penny, should we say. And like I said, I'm pretty sure this guy has probably lost his job after this bungle. Definitely. An interesting one for the uh, grandchildren and probably an interesting story to tell the insurers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how was the car crushed? <laughs> well, that's a long story. So that is my full story. I don't want to like draw it out. Just just think of the, just him getting in there thinking, I've done this a hundred times. I can't mess this up. And then ramming speed so goes under the SUV. SUV lands on top. He is okay. He is all right. Don't get me wrong. He's no one not. Uh, if someone was hurt, I would say, yeah, I'm not going to talk about the story because that's pretty mean. Me just laughing at his unfortunate. <laughs> but he is okay. You know, he got out. Okay. And, you know. Yeah, that was lucky. It could have ended very differently. Absolutely. So. Especially uh, a uh, SUV landing on top of you. Yeah, I thought that, that would be fatal. Made me smile, Martin, definitely. Yeah, it's one of those things you'd expect to see on one of these funny ITV yeah, shows. Yeah, you've been framed. You've been framed, those kind of things, whatever. Similar shows out there where you live. I could see it, and I'm sure you guys listening at home had a smile on your face as well. It's one of those, I just pictured it the moment you said I can see the whole thing taking place without having to see the video. It's a real tough one this week because, Martin, I would definitely give you the smile factor. You you really just brought a smile to my face immediately. That's what I'm Alan, here for. Alan, I'll give full props because he layered this up and it took twists and turns and I definitely was fooled to think it was going to be... And not a type of story that would win to being an extremely good story that has this layer of being ashamed that we're in a government that has wasted this money and also finding it kind of funny and there's loads of things going on here so it's a real tough one a really really tough one actually probably one of the is it the dogs ones. it's the dogs that's really settled it for ben here <laughs> no they always help just i i could imagine Alan's thing kind of being in British comedy show. Like Come Fly With Me, you know, when they're doing yeah, that. Yeah, or Only Fools and Horses that <laughs> Derek bought these dogs that are supposed to be sniffer dogs, but they just end up in butchers or something, you know, <laughs> down the street. I can just see that coming. And I think it's because of those multi-layers that I'm going to have to give it to Alan on this one. Martin's it was, was the so <laughs> good, so good. And on any other day, I 100% would have given it to Martin. But I think by an inch which is what the driver did he did it to the, to <laughs> it to the inch <laughs> but took off enough to win Alan congratulations oh, thank you very much no, well, I must admit that was a good story was I a thought good story. I thought as soon as you started going I was like oh I'm pretty confident here <laughs> I'll be honest so no congratulations Alan cool thank you next week I'll be in again and I'll be fighting against Ben yeah I've chosen so. my opponent <laughs> in choosing Alan You've for the win. Your poison. I have, and we'll see how well that goes. Get in touch, let us know. Do you think Alan should have won? Are you currently screaming inside, thinking that I've chosen the wrong person? I want to know, let us know, and then we can 
at least give Martin the benefit that maybe he got the audience vote. With that, we're going to wrap up what has been a fantastic episode. Thank you very much for listening, and we hope you have enjoyed it just as much as we've loved putting it together for you. Goodbye to the victor, of course, Alan. Goodbye. Thank you for joining us. That's no problem at all. And Martin, hope there's nothing between us after this. Thank you very much for joining us. Right, there is something between us. These microphones between us. That's the only thing stopping me right now. But thank you very much, Ben, for having me once again, and I look forward to the next podcast. We'll see you guys on the next one. Goodbye. See you later. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to the Three Pixels podcast, a production by Alan Taylor, music provided by Epidemic Sound, and exec produced by Abrupt Audio. With that, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Good night. You've been listening to the Three Pixels Podcast, a production by Alan Taylor, Martin Gregory, and me, Ben Ridley. Music produced by Epidemic Sound. And with that, thank you for listening. Good night. <laughs> it was so calm. Oh, I thought you were actually doing it. I honestly thought you were to say no, no, music by Monster Cat for some reason. No, it's Epidemic Sound. <laughs> you, did, you did well. You did well on your topic. It was a very good topic. It was a good topic. It's, like I said, um, I was a bit, I was like, Alan, you could have saved this for another week, couldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, he wasn't going easy. Nah, that's good. I needed a challenge. <laughs> <laughs>